I have titled this morning's message, A Solemn Call to the Church. A Solemn Call to the Church. If I were to ask you this morning, how would you define prayer, or what comes to your mind when I use the word prayer, I wonder what would be revealed. Would it be, oh, not again. Or every time I hear that word, I feel so guilty. Or I don't see any reason to pray because if God knows everything before I ask, why ask? D.L. Moody, who lived over 100 years ago, was visiting Scotland and he was asked to speak to a group of children, grade school children. And Mr. Moody, not missing an opportunity to speak, decided that he was going to speak to the children. And as he accepted the invitation, he began to, to wonder, what am I going to speak to children about? Uh, I know I get the opportunity once in a while to speak at East Lynn. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was speaking, I was to speak, and um, the little kindergarten kids came out, or not kindergarten, the grade one, I don't know what grade they were, but um, I, I don't know, was it Tina that told me, little girl said, oh, President Obama is speaking this morning. <laughs> What, what do you say to children? D.L. Moody was speaking to these great children. And he asked the question, what is prayer? Remember now, these are grade school children. Over 200 hands went up. And Moody pointed to a little boy, seven years old, at the front and said, would you come up, young man, and tell us what prayer is? This is a seven-year-old boy telling Mr. Moody what prayer is. He began, quote, Praying is offering our desire up to God in the name of Jesus Christ. By the power of His Spirit, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And Moody looked at the young man and said, young man, be thankful you weren't born in America. Why did he say that? He said that because in America, prayer was seen as a, something we say around the table. It is something we, 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 we mumble up and down. I re remember um, when I was a student, my first school at Prairie, the students used to be asked, you become a senior, uh, and junior and seniors will, give, will say the prayer at the, at the lunch time and in the evening, and uh, one fellow was asked to pray, and he, this was a senior getting ready to graduate, and he must have been hungry because as he got up to pray for the lunch, 
meal at noon, he said, bless this lunch to this bunch, amen. <laughs> that was it. I'm speaking on prayer this morning, not because of last week. It just happened to be the place where we ended Colossians. And so nothing you hear this morning has anything to do with last week or next week. It has to do with the very life of the church. Paul is in prison writing to the Colossians, as you will remember. And he talked about several things. And he began by speaking about the doctrinal foundation upon which the whole of existence depend. And he bro broke those down into revelation from God. God has spoken. And then he spoke about redemption, how God has reconciled the world to himself or himself to the world in chapter 2. And then he began to move closer to where we are, he started to talk about the home, and he spoke about the wife, and about the husband, and the children. And then he spoke about the employer, and the employee. And now we come to this place where he speaks to the church in general again. But now he's speaking to the church in general, not from a standpoint of their doctrinal belief as He's speaking to them about their duty as a result of the doctrine they believe. Their duty as a result of the doctrine they claim to believe. And so he begins chapter 4 talking about masters and then he, he just, he just segues right into the church. And then he begins in chapter 4 verse 2. Your translation, if you're not using the King James, your translation says, as mine does, that we are to devote ourselves to prayer. I have chosen to use the word the King James translates, not because this is wrong, but I think the word continue in prayer speaks more precisely to what Paul is saying than the word devote. You see, when you devote yourself to something, you can discover something and you devote yourself to it. When you devote yourself to something, it's something that you make sure that is done, but it doesn't have any real priority in your life, but you, you do it. For example, we eat three meals a day. We know that when it's time to eat, we eat. But when, the, when Paul uses the word to continue, he's speaking of something that has been going on, and he doesn't want it to stop. Because when it comes to the life of the church, the church is sustained by prayer. The church is sustained by prayer. When he says to devote, that's what he's saying. Commit yourself to it because without it you will die. Your spiritual life can never, never advance outside of prayer. No matter, no matter how much you give, no matter how hard you work. Uh, John Piper, I think, puts it so beautifully. 
He said, you know, it's interesting. We think that it is evil that keeps us from praying, but it's not evil. It's good. You know, as you, as, as you kneel to prayer, as you pray, whoever you pray, you just remember something you've got to do. Or for me, it's a fly. You know, you, 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 you begin, and all of a sudden you hear, and, and, and it takes away your attention. Or you begin to think about your schedule. It's almost, almost never something bad that keeps us from praying. I'll develop that as we go on. So, so Paul is saying, your whole ministry depends upon it. A church that does not pray is saying to God, you do not have priority in our life. As I was studying this, it occurred to me that Acts chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this, that the church was born in prayer. Jesus went to the, to the hill. He was getting ready to ascend. And he said to the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and continue waiting there until the Holy Spirit comes. And we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they, these all with one mind or one accord were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The two words are used there, continually devoting. And as they didn't know when it was going to happen. But one morning they were praying. As they were doing, they were continuing. They were devoted to it. And all of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, they heard something happening and the church was born. So the church was born in prayer. So not to pray is to say, thank you, God, but now I've had it. I'm going to do something else. What is prayer? Notwithstanding what that young man said, I want to give you just two ideas of prayer. One, what it is. What is prayer? Let me suggest to you that prayer is an act of faith by which a believer in worship and in confidence in a loving Father who is infinite yet waits to hear and respond to his children who call on him for help. It is the soul soaring from space and time to the eternal sphere where the throne of God is established. In other words, friends, prayer takes the matters of earth and gather them by faith and soar them to the throne of God where he alone is capable of answering. Our help is in the name of the Lord. That's why we pray. It is having confidence. In, and, and I want to say later on, friends, prayer is a struggle. Prayer is not only a delight, it's a struggle. Because when we come to pray, we confront 
the, the, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience. That's why it's so hard to pray. But it is, it is to go beyond. It is, to, it is to say to God who sits in throne above, don't let the devil get to my son. Don't let the devil get to my daughter. Don't let the devil infiltrate my church. We're taking it to the throne where God sits enthroned. In prayer, we leave the business of time for the occupation of eternity. And there we commune, not as human beings, but human beings, but as human beings with God. Prayer. Why pray? That's what prayer is in my estimation. Why pray? Why pray? This is the second part of it. It is, it is, it is a divine, a, a divinely appointed weapon. Prayer is a divinely appointed weapon that stands against the sinister attacks of the devil and his angels. While it is a vehicle for, for confession of sin and an instrument whereby the grateful soul pours out adoration before the throne of God. Hebrews 7, 19 tells us this. Let us come with boldness to the throne of God. No matter how I feel, when I pray in confession and in humbleness, on earth, my prayer rises from where I am like the evening sacrifice and it goes right to the throne of God. It is the weapon that God has given to us in order that we might stand against the wiles of the devil. It is how we use the weapons he has given us in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, after it tells us from verse 11 to verse 17 about the weapons that we were, he says, and with all prayer, with all prayer, the weapons will be of none effect if they are not sustained by prayer. The second reason we find in, in, in praying, I told you first, about the fact that it is sustained, the church is sustained by prayer. But secondly, the church is sensitized by prayer. Look at that word. Again, if you have the King James, it will say, watch. My translation says, keeping alert. That is one of the nuances of the Greek word. But as I sat and meditated upon that one word, watch, what was Paul saying when he told the church to watch? And my friends, it came to me. The word means that prayer makes you sensitive to the approach of sin. In prayer, we develop discernment. In prayer, we, we are able to perceive what we would not be able to perceive 
by simply going from day to day without praying. We, we, are, able, we are able to know what to do with this and what to do with that. <laughs> C.S. Lewis tells a very interesting story, and I haven't read his book. This is a part, of, part of it that I have read, because I don't have this the copy of um, the, re, the, 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 you know, the, um, you have uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Well, C.S. Lewis titled his book Pilgrim's Regress. And he's telling how he became a believer. And he went back and he, from, from where he was uh, to where he was before. And, and he tells a story. He said he was having breakfast one morning. And he said to the, to the waiter, my, this is wonderful, wonderful eggs. And, and the, the, the waiter said, if you knew where those eggs came from, you wouldn't say that. And so he was having a glass of milk. And he said, oh, the milk is so delicious. And, and the waiter said, if you knew how that milk came to you, you wouldn't be saying that. And C.S. Lewis said he was troubled by that. And then he, he, he gave this, this image. He said, and came reason riding on a horse and said to him, that man is lying. He's lying for this reason. He doesn't know what God has given for refuse and what God has given for food. Discernment. And my friends, sometimes something good could, could come to you and me. But that thing without prayer will not be fully understood and it can be used for the wrong thing. Discernment. I, I don't, I don't, my wife can tell you, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I watch certain things in TV. And, and one of the things I always try to watch is, is to learn. And you know, one of my favorite, you think I just watch Flintstones for the fun of it, don't you? <laughs> but you know, have you ever watched Flintstones and watched Barney and Fred? And Barney is only useful for Fred unless Fred wants something from Barney. Discernment. We need to be discerned, friends. And if we spend more time taking in from the world without time with God to understand the world, the world will squeeze us into its mold. Discernment. Watch. Let me give you an illustration of this. Jesus was praying with his disciples. Three times he prayed and the disciples fell asleep. And the third time Jesus came back and he said, keep on sleeping. In fact, get up. Because my betrayer is at hand. Judas had not yet arrived, but Jesus knew he was coming. How did he discern that? What was he doing before? Praying. He was praying. And in his prayer, he was able to perceive the approach of evil. And my friends, some of us can, can, can sit on evil without even knowing it. How blessed is the man or the woman 
who does not walk with the ungodly, stand with the sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful, because he or she knows the danger they face. They have a spiritual discernment, insight into what they're going through, and they are able to say, this is not for a child of God. I cannot, with the conscience that God has given me, dull my conscience by allowing this to be a part of my life. Prayer makes, makes us sensitive. As often as the language of prayer is in my heart, as often as I see the need for help, as often as I feel the power of temptation, as often as I am made sensible to the spiritual declension or feel the aggression of a worldly spirit, that is how often I must be praying. Watch Jesus say that you do not enter into temptation. Spiritual discernment. It sensitizes us, makes us aware. And, and, and friends, this is why sometimes things can be said and you say, come on now, that can't be. I don't see how that can be that. Ah, if you have not been spending time in prayer, my friends, you will never see it. You will never see it. Thirdly, the savor, the savor of prayer. With thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. What does it mean by that? It means that when I go to prayer, I begin at times with my worshiping God, adoring God, you know, the acts. Or it begins with thanksgiving or with singing. Read the Psalms. You will get different ways to pray if you read the Psalms and pray the Psalms back. But thanksgiving, my friends, is more than a feeling. This, this is why we, we pray with thanksgiving. Number one, we pray with thanksgiving because of who God is. We pray with thanksgiving. Listen, I don't know how many Christians there are in the world. There are many, you know, numbers as to, to how many. I don't know. In China alone, there are more Christians in China than there are in, in America. Believe it or not, there are more Christians in, in uh, South Korea than there are in Canada. And, and, and something, every so often, it goes through my mind, how can God take care of all the Christians that are crying to him in North Korea, South Korea, in China, in the United States, in Canada? You know, I think that true believers in Venezuela must be, must be weeping right now because of what's happening to their country. How could God hear that? Because in him we live and move and have our being. God is not subject to time and space. When Solomon was praying at the dedication of the temple, he said, even the heavens can't contain God. That's, my friends, how great God is. We, we pray because, and give God thanks because we have a God that can never be defeated. We have a God who knows everything. And I cannot 
explain why certain things happen. But I know that nothing happens without his consent because the scripture says, not one sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. That's why we give thanks. And I didn't know whether I should give you this quote or not, but I'll give it to you. You might not know who Blaise Pascal is, but Blaise Pascal is, the, as I look at some of the background in his life, a brilliant, brilliant mathematician. He's actually the one who set the stage. He made the first calculator that was ever made in the world way back there in the 1800s. And a devoted Christian, and, and someone asked Blaise Pascal, why do you pray? Listen to his answer. I love it. I've memorized it. He said, because when I pray, I acknowledge the dignity of causality. Isn't, doesn't that sound wonderful? I acknowledge the dignity of causality. What he's saying, that I cannot think of anything that God has not brought into existence. I can't think of a thing. John 1 tells us the same thing. Nothing was made apart from him. And so in him we live and move and have our being. I give God thanks because when I go to, to, to God in prayer, I do not go to the possibility of defeat. I go to the possibility of victory. That's why I pray. Secondly, I pray because of what he does. Paul shared with us last night some of the things that he has seen God working in. And uh, although we could say whatever we want of them, he was praying and the thing happened. And so <laughs> he came to the same conclusion that we did because of prayer. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We pray because of what he does. The little things, the big things, how he works in spite of evil. He works through evil to accomplish his purposes. We pray because of what he has promised. What he has promised. Hebrews 13, 5, he made this promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And my friends, I do not know what burden you brought into this room this morning, but may I suggest to you that if you are a child of God, you did not come alone because in all your affliction, he's afflicted. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 is where that verse comes from. Listen to what um, Moses said. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble. I love that. Don't be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you, nor will he forsake you. That's why we pray, because of who God is, because of what he does, because of what he's promised. Let me quickly go to this, the rest of the, the, the verses. 
that was verse 2, verses 3 and 4, gives us the lifeline, the lifeline of the church, how the church is held together. Paul says, continue in prayer. And then he, 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 he gives, he breaks it down. And, and he begins asking the church to pray for us. Is, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Paul, Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, uh, Paul sums up, sums up the whole thing by saying, pray for us. You know what this means, friends? Please hear me. That this pastor speaking to you this morning right here depends upon your prayers for his ministry. I, 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 do, not, I, do, not, I do not go to books to try and find out what's happening in New York to speak to you Sunday morning. I, I, the temptation? Oh, what, what can I do to have all these seats filled? Bring a comedian in and advertise it. No, friends. My Bible tells me that the church of Jesus Christ operates not by might, nor by power, but by God's Spirit. And when God's Spirit is doing it, we will be praying. And when we're praying, I, I believe, friends, that I am kept from dangers. Many of you will say to Lois and me as we're going home, have a safe trip home. That is wonderful, but I cannot have a safe trip if you're not praying. You must pray. Chuck Swindoll tells a story some time ago, being on a, on a plane, and, and he said he was sitting beside this person, and before this person had his food, and that day you got food on the plane. And uh, the person said, the person bowed his head, and Chuck was quite impressed and said, wow, I noticed you're praying. You must be a Christian. And he looked at Chuck. He said, Christian, I belong to Satan, and I am praying that God will destroy the lives of pastors. That's why you need to pray for us, friends. Paul is saying, I am no big shot. The very first time I became a Christian, God reminded me, you are, be, you are going to be doing my work, not your work. And, and, and friends, it's not only the pastor. Paul said, pray for us. Who are the us? Epaparas was one of them. Aristarchus was one of them. Luke was one of them. Timothy was one of them. Titus was one of them. All these men traveled with Paul, and he's asking, pray for us. And I run the danger, I run the danger, but my friends, every, every Wednesday morning, I, I, I meet with four people, and we pray, and we seek God for direction, and I ask you to pray for us, pray for John, pray for Warren, pray for Connie, pray for Paul. These are people who sit and pray with me and direct, and say, should we do this? And I ask them, what do you think of this? Because the devil would, would do his best to do something to bring division, not only among us, but the church itself. 
Paul said, pray for us. Three times in three different books, Paul asked the Christians to pray for him. And I don't need to tell you, friends, if Paul needed it, you can finish the rest of the story. Secondly, secondly, praying for God-given opportunities. Praying for God-given opportunities. Prayer is how the church grows. A church that simply grow, my friends, by means of having things that people want, that church does not have spiritual life. It has growing abilities, but not spiritual life. What do I mean by that? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the, har the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers of you pray. Pray, and I'm going to use one illustration. When the folks moved across the road here, we went over there and we took gift to them and we welcomed them to the community and so on and so on, which was right to do. And, and we were hoping that, you know, they might get curious about the church and come here. And it never happened. In fact, they started to build a wall. Put up a fence. It wasn't there before. The people that were there before came to the church. And that wall went up, and we wondered how. But little did I know that there were people praying, including myself. And John just informed me that the, the, the lady sending their two children to the co-op that meets here on Mondays. Do you get it? Pray for God-given opportunities. You know, one of the things I do, you might think this is funny, you know, one of the things I do, when I, when I drive in around, lots of people are moving into, sale, in, into Lebanon. And every time I'm, and I see a place for Vegas, I pray, God send someone there that will come here. I'm not praying for someone from another church, but for someone coming from, from Vancouver. <laughs> that God would bring them to us. We're not about the numbers. We're about getting the gospel out, friends, so that people will hear it. Pray for God-given opportunities. Closed doors, my friends, are only in the minds of human beings. Philippians 4.22, Paul says this, All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Do you know who Caesar was? Caesar, my friends, was the emperor of, of Rome, who if you did not say that Caesar is Lord, you could be killed. And somehow the Christians, the early Christians, penetrated Penetrated that there was a young church in Caesar's household. God can open closed doors. He's not confined. And I don't know how we're going to reach this family over here, but the children started to come. And once you have the children, it's not far behind. The parents will come. Let me quickly close. Pray for courage. Praying for courage to face opposition. Dear friends, I don't want to take a lot of time to talk about what happened in New York. 
the abortion bill that was signed by Governor Cuomo. I don't want to take time to talk about the same approach and even worse from the governor of Virginia. But I want you to pray not only for me, but for any man who stands in the pulpit and dares to say that abortion is murder, that abortion is to say to God, you have no right to tell me how to run my body. I can do it if I want to. I was driving behind a vehicle yesterday, and the, I, if I can remember correctly, what the, the bumper sticker says, pro-choice, the unborn didn't, wasn't given a choice. <laughs> Paul said, I was praying that. I was speaking of the mystery of Christ, and guess what? That's why I, I'm in prison. Listen to what Jesus said, and I close with his words. Listen to what Jesus says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. My friends, to think for, for, for over 200 years, America lived off the, the, the fruit of praying Christians of the past. And as soon as there was nothing put back into the coffers of prayer, America began to move away from God. So, as I said in my, my perspective for today, first, it was no prayer in school. Then, no Bible in the curriculum. And then... There was no spiritual anything in the public squares. And so, to get rid of the Bible, the prayer, no talking in public square, what do we do? Get rid of the believer. Get rid of those who are promoting it. I can't get to what, I can't stop, but well, stop the source. If they hated you, Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Much more could be said, friends, but I close. I borrow these words from John Piper because it's exactly what I want to say. Unless, he said, I am mistaken. One reason so many of God's children do not have a significant life of prayer is not because they don't want to, but because they don't plan to. If you don't plan a vacation, you will probably stay at home and watch TV. The natural, un unplanned spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality when you don't plan to do anything about it. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want to renew your life of prayer, you must plan to do it. And friends, listen, I want to tell you what I want to say. Prayer is war. Prayer is war. Prayer is a struggle. Prayer doesn't come easy for anybody. The only person that had a delightful prayer life is Jesus. But you and I are left in a world of darkness. And when we go to God, when this church begins to pray, the devil will attack it like you wouldn't believe it but we have not been destined to defeat. We are destined to victory. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father, may your Spirit apply your word to our hearts so that we will be able to become a people whose ministry is sustained by prayer, whose people are sensitized by prayer. Father, may your, may your word become the source for what we do so that we will never look to the world to see how to the, the church is to be, to be run, if you please. But we will yield to the Spirit. We'll spend time in prayer so that in the power of the Holy Spirit, this ministry will go on until Jesus Christ comes. Hear our prayers, Lord, as we come to the end of this service now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.